The Alleyman Podcast, Episode 5, The Myth Alive. Theatricians, welcome one and all to the story of our lives. I am your monologuer, Percy McClay Ortiz, and I have a new play for you tonight. This is a rather odd one. Not even the play, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me set the stage. <sighs> Tonight, I went to the local community theater here in Littleton, and I had high hopes for this, as it was the tale of the lonesome widower, that postmodern chaucer follow-up fiction that the Puerto Rican artist Alicia Colon did. You know I am out here to support fellow women in the field, and I did a reading at a salon here in Colorado in this fairy play. So I had to go. It was a must. Is community theater, which, you know, I support as much as any other theater, but I have to admit it was a bit spare of the production. I love it, truly. As you probably know, the tale of the lonesome widower marries Chaucer's Canterbury Tales verse with a deeply contemporary Puerto Rican poetic style. The speakers often flip between full Middle English and modern English and Spanish in a truly surprisingly melodic fashion. There are entire lines that read to most watchers as total nonsense, but gorgeous nonsense. In the production I took part in, we used some of the original music that Alicia Colon's composer friends produced for the dramatic readings, but at the community theater, they did not use any of that, opting instead for some likely royalty-free background music on the speakers. I don't begrudge or judge on this, Performing to the intended beat requires a complete musical understanding of the intended Spanish, and I learned from staying after the play that the woman playing the lonesome widower herself was not a Spanish speaker. I will give her props. Her pronunciation throughout the play was spot on, but I could tell afterwards that she had been so nervous about the performance. Normally, here is where I would break down the play. The performers, the staging, the lighting, all of that. You know how I do. But the most fascinating part of the night actually happened after the play. The lead, the lonesome widow, was just such a sweetheart that we got to talking after the production was over for almost an hour, just sitting there at the side of the stage. And that was when we were chased out of the theater by the stagehands who wanted to get home. It's not uncommon for me to stick around and go for a drink or two with the cast of a show I see. I'm not going to toot my own horn here, but I am decently well-known in the local theater scene, and sometimes people just want to talk about theater from an academic standpoint or from a behind-the-scenes place. So I offered to take Julia out for a drink. She said yes immediately, and we went to a bar I knew was open late in the area that I went to often after community theater shows. It was already 7 p.m. at this point, but I'm a night owl, so I didn't mind. And you know how I am. I can't let a pretty woman drink by herself. <laughs> Julia, don't judge me too harshly if you listen to this episode. So, we had a couple drinks... The night grew short, and we were going to leave for the night when she realized she didn't have her purse on her at all. 
I paid for the drinks and we ran back to the theater and were surprised to find it unlocked. A spotlight was on, pointed at the stage, but we didn't find anyone in the building. Julia found her purse quickly enough, but she stood on stage for a minute, looking up at the spotlight overhead. For a moment, I thought she might be seeing someone, so I looked too from the seating area, but I didn't see anyone in the rafters behind the light. That was when she began begging, and I mean begging for her life. To say it was spooky would be selling it short. She was on the stage, in the middle of the spotlight, just on her knees and begging for someone to stop, staring up into the spotlight. I clutched my chest and looked around, suddenly convinced that something was happening that I just didn't understand. But over my shoulder, or in front of me, there was no one but me and Julia. Seriously, not a soul. I tried to speak up, but Julia was belting her words like she was performing for an audience. And that was when I kind of got clued in on the joke. She was performing. (laughs) I walked toward the stage until I knew I was in her view, but she didn't look at me. Not at first. I breathed a huge sigh of relief, though. I wanted to chastise her for scaring me like that, but she kept going. She was begging someone to leave her be, to stop taking her life, her time, her act. I did not recognize the lines, but she was delivering them just a bit too realistically for me to be comfortable with her continuing. Then her eyes snapped down to me, and I don't know what it was. There's a difference, you know? A difference between someone looking at you like normally, and a person looking at you from the stage, in the middle of a performance. An actor can look out on the audience vaguely, but the lights keep them from locking eyes with anyone in particular most of the time. But there are times when the play calls for it, when the actor looks out at you, like you are part of the performance. When that happens, the sound of the play, the characters, pick you up into the story. That's what happened here. Just a second before that moment, I had felt like a weird onlooker to Julia's impromptu horror performance. But when her eyes locked on me from the stage, it wasn't as Julia. It was as her character, begging for her life. Suddenly, I felt grossed out, complicit in some way with the implied violence. Like I had been an onlooker on a real scene of violence and done nothing. That's when Julia's face grew into a smile, and then I felt really uneasy. I'll admit we'd had a bit to drink before this, and maybe that's why, but it just felt so real. Like she wasn't Julia. Like she was this character. I told her to stop playing, that she was taking it too far. She cut me off and told me she would offer a trick for tat. Like, tit for tat. I'd bought her drinks, so now she should perform in thanks. At this point, I felt really uneasy. 
She had these strangely aloof eyes, like she was amused, but tears were escaping her eyes from the gut-wrenching begging she had just done. I still felt so confused, disgusted even, but more than anything, a bit... I'll admit, a bit scared. But... I stepped out of the aisle and into the seats a row back from the stage and sat down, uncertain of why I was doing this, why she was doing this. She just had such a gravitas, something greater still than even her performance on stage earlier tonight, and she'd done good. It must have been nine o'clock already, and I'm recording this now at midnight. I, I just, I sat there for almost two hours, two full hours, longer than the tale of the lonesome widow, and watched her act alone on a stage, with no crew, no background, no sense. I remember wiping tears from my face, I remember, like, literally laughing so hard I almost threw up. I remember smiling and grimacing. I remember all of the feelings that her performance made me feel, but... But I can't remember what the story even was. It's like... I can remember her stalking to and fro on the stage, in and out of the spotlight, but the first thing I remember of each thing is... her. Being in the spotlight the whole time. Like, maybe the spotlight did follow her, or... Or like she somehow walked across the stage while staying in place. That one seems more right in my memory, but it doesn't make sense. I remember her holding entire conversations with characters who were beside her, but I don't remember anyone ever being there. Like when I run lines and mutter other characters' lines under my breath. Like there was a ghost of other people present, acting with her. Maybe she said those lines, too? She was a child, growing older with each line she delivered. But she was also herself after she died, speaking of her life backwards. I remember... I remember her saying something to another person on stage about how we all move like this, forwards and backwards, at the same time. But again, of course, there was no one else on stage. Gosh, I'm making it sound like a ghost story now. No, it was just... Her performance was so arresting. It was alive with such an energy... It was an entire story in and of itself, but I know she was alone on the stage. I know I didn't hear a deck of cards shuffling during the poker scene, but I swear I heard it. She was just so certain, miming things that weren't there, acting with props that somehow I could see in my mind's eye and my literal eyes all at once. I remember when I was in school in Chicago, an old director telling me that there was a spirit of performance lurking behind the scenes of every show she'd ever produced. 
that the intuition of actors, of musicians, of directors, of writers was always walking the edge of the spirit of true performance. And when you have an incredible night is when you've given in to it. I got it then, artistically, in a high-minded sense. But seeing Julia's performance tonight, I understood it now in practice. I'm still riding the high of the show. My hand is shaking just remembering how swept up I was, how alive the stage felt. I was alone in the audience, but the whole auditorium felt full, reactive, enlivened, and excited, and, and wow, it just really was a performance of a lifetime. And, and it was just for me. When she finished, she looked so exhausted. The poor woman was sweating through her clothes. I clapped louder than I'd ever clapped, but it only took me a second to realize I was clapping alone and that's always awkward. So I walked up to the stage and helped her down to sit on the edge. When I asked her what came over her, she just... I don't know. She looked as surprised as I was. The stage persona was gone immediately, and the woman I'd just had drinks with came back. That's the mark of an incredible performer. Someone who on the stage becomes another person entirely, embodying their role so truly. She said it was like she'd become a different person entirely, and I agreed. I pressed for what the play was, and she looked bewildered. It was something she had been writing on the side, but it was far from ready for the stage. She hadn't even figured out the third act, and, and trying to think back on it, I don't remember the plot at the time. Even now, I barely remember the barest outline of what occurred, or who the characters were. Anyways, we laughed like a couple of drunken fools and left the theater, locking up behind ourselves. Now, I'm far from an unbiased voice here, and I'll admit I have a date lined up with Julia, but I cannot recommend going to see her on stage enough. I'm not going to make a secret of it right now that her performance just now, after the real show, was, was absolutely something else. But every bit of her talent showed through in the theater showing of The Lonesome Widower. So... So you should absolutely go see it. There's another show Friday night, then Saturday and Sunday, both at 6 p.m. Admission is $10, but you can always get in free with a local school ID. And just... We are all the stories we tell ourselves. <sighs> Impossibly gorgeous. That was a line she said. I just remembered it, like she said it to me just now. She said it in just... Such a way that I can't hope to reproduce it. Still. Until next time, I am your monologuer, Percy McClay Ortiz. And, and remember, we are all the stories we tell ourselves. Have a good rest of your morning.
The Alley Man Podcast is a podcast produced, written, and directed by Seven Day Nasmond of Publishing Goblin LLC and licensed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike International License. The Alley Man character was created by Seven Day Nasmond and is based on the character created by them for the Alley Man's Tarot. Outro music produced by Seven Day Nasmond. My name is Kim Ramon, and I played Percy McClay Ortiz. The podcast Modern Mythologies is a fake podcast produced for the purposes of the show, as are its hosting characters, and those hosting characters of urban folklore. Any relation to people, real or imaginary, is a coincidence. The Urban Folklore Reddit and Dr. Okoye's email, profokoye at modernmyth.live, are real and available for you to use to reach out to the character, and I will read comments and emails each week for the next episode. Please like, review, and share episodes wherever you find them, and consider donating to support this and future projects at the Publishing Goblin Patreon, or follow us on all social media, all of which can be found at publishinggoblin.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>